You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, it is our desire that you would open our, our eyes and our hearts to your word. We thank you that you speak to us in your word with such clarity and such straightforwardness. We thank you that these words are no longer a mystery to those of us who have been saved, that you have given us the ability to understand and to obey spiritual things. We pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts that we may obey you and that we may see in your word what you clearly have for us. Encourage our hearts together and strengthen our confidence in Christ and Increase our faith still more and more as we look into your word, that we would believe you and trust you, and that by resting and trusting in you and what you have done for us in Christ, that we might be fruitful and productive children in your kingdom and citizens of your kingdom, and then glory to you as we reflect the grace that you have given to us in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. John chapter 10, we're going to read together verses 25 through verse 30. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, this is in response to their question, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now last week, in verses 27 to 29, we looked at two of these eight great statements that Jesus gives in those three verses. Eight statements which distinguish between those who belong to him and those who do not. He says in verse 26 that the reason that the Pharisees did not believe him, even though he had shown them his evidence of his messianic claims and told them exactly who he was, The reason they did not believe is because they were not his sheep. And now Jesus is contrasting those who do not belong to him with those who do belong to him. If they were his sheep, then these things would be true. And then we get these eight statements. And all eight of these are individually statements that we could argue conclusively for the security of the sheep. Any one of these eight statements is an evidence of the security that belongs to those who are in Christ. All eight of them together are like a barrage like a shotgun effect of these truths which hammer home our security and allow us to rest in what Christ has done as our good shepherd. And those eight truths, we looked at two of them last week. His sheep hear his voice. The Pharisees did not. He knows his sheep. He does not know the Pharisees. He will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He doesn't know them salvifically or in a salvation sense. Third, he, his sheep follow him. That's in verse 27. In verse 28, he gives eternal life to his sheep. His sheep will never perish. No one will snatch his sheep from his hand. The Father has given these sheep to him, the Son, and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Those are the eight statements. We looked at two of them. He knows his sheep, or his sheep hear his voice, and he knows his sheep. His sheep hear his voice, in contrast to the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus said to these same Pharisees in John chapter 8, I think it's 46 and 47, Jesus said, if you were of God, you would hear me, but you do not hear the words of God because you are not of God. If you belonged to God, you would hear my voice. You would hear what I say to you. But these Pharisees did not belong to him. They were not his sheep. And so they were deaf to his claims and deaf to his truth. And Jesus knows his sheep. 
He doesn't wait around to see who believes on Him and who dies in unbelief to figure out who belongs to Him. Jesus Christ knows His elect. It's no mystery to Him whom the Father has given to Him. The Father has given to Him a people, and Jesus says, I know them. They're my sheep. And He has known them from eternity past. Not He finds who out who they are in time, but He knows them from eternity past. That's what the word foreknown means. When Scripture declares that we are foreknown or God foreknows us, it doesn't mean that God is a good prognosticator and He can look down through time and then reacts to what you and I do in time, what decisions we're going to make. That's not what foreknowledge means. Foreknowledge means He knew us lovingly in eternity past, before time began. He foreknew us. And those whom He knew beforehand, because the Father gave them to Him, those He called, those He justifies, those He sanctifies, and those He glorifies. That's what foreknowledge is. So Jesus is here just describing foreknowledge. He's saying the Father has given to me sheep. My sheep will hear my voice. They're not going to die in unbelief. They will hear my call to salvation. And by the grace of God, they will hear his voice and will come to him. And he knows his sheep. He knows who his sheep are, and he knows them from eternity past. And because he knows us, he can secure everlastingly those who are his from every danger, both temporal and eternal, because he knows us. And so he secures us. And the third one now is in verse 27 as well. His sheep follow him. And by the way, all of these things really are expressions of God's grace to us. Uh, they're all expressions of God's grace. Every one of these things is not something that you and I do in and of our own strength or by our own doing, our own abilities. Each one of these eight statements is an expression or description of some element of God's grace toward his people. God, by his grace, ensures the response of his sheep, making sure that his sheep will hear him. God, by his grace, knows his sheep and secures them in that way. And God, by his grace, enables his sheep to follow him. Even the following that is mentioned here is an act of God's grace. It is by his grace that we follow him. So look at verse 27, this next one. At the end of the verse, I know them and they follow me. And they follow me. His sheep will certainly follow him. Now listen, God by his grace has secured a people. God by his grace has atoned for those people. And God by his grace has guaranteed or assured that they will follow him. How many of the sheep whom the Father has given to the Son, how many of them will follow the Son? Does Jesus say some of those sheep will follow me? Does Jesus say some of the sheep will follow me for a period of time and then they will fall away? Does He say, I hope that these sheep will follow me or most of the sheep will follow me or I'm really uncertain as to whether any of them will follow me or not because it's all their choice? What does He say? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Is there any doubt in Jesus' mind what is going to happen with the sheep? How many of the sheep will follow Him? All of them. Because if Jesus fails to bring to eternal glory even one of his sheep. He is a liar and a failure. Because he said, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that I gather in all that he has given to me and I lose none of them. That's the will of the Father. So if Jesus came to do the will of the Father and he fails to save and to secure and to bring to eternal glory even one whom the Father has given to him, he is a liar and he is a failure. But he will not do that because he has promised they will follow me. And the type of following here is not the following like uh, just make a profession of faith in Jesus. And uh, so I pray the prayer when I'm five and I walk the aisle and I, and I check the box and, and I got baptized and, and now I'm following away. That's not the type of following that is described here. This type of following is the type of following that is a following of obedience. We have seen in John's Gospel the distinction that John makes between make-believers and real believers. There are some 
who make believe. There are some believers who are really not born again or believers at all. And John describes them. We saw them in John chapter 2. We saw them in John chapter 6. We saw them in John chapter 8. That's not the type of believer that John or Jesus is describing here. The type of believer that Jesus is describing here is the one who is born again, chapter 3. In the words of chapter 4, that's the one who has received living water. In the words of chapter 5, it is the one who has believed upon Jesus and in His Word and the Word of Him who sent Him and has passed from death into life. In the words of chapter 6, it is the one who eats His flesh and drinks His blood and appropriates Him to Himself. In the words of chapter 8, it is the one who follows after Him and continues in His Word, who is His disciple indeed, who has been set free and knows the truth. And now in the words of chapter 10, He is the one who is His sheep. So there is true belief and there is false belief. And I'm not talking about false belief. When Jesus says He follows me, He's not talking about the ones who for a period of time sort of pop up and follow after Christ passionately and aggressively and then fall away and ten years later you don't hear anything about them. Because they're off doing their own thing. And see, this is why the definition or the idea, the doctrine of the perseverance of the sheep or the perseverance of the saint is sometimes confused. Because you know these people as well as I do. see some of you nodding, right? You know people that you went to school with. I have people I went to Bible college with. People I graduated from three years of Bible college with that today they don't even walk with Christ. How is that possible? Well, if you are an Arminian and you think that salvation is the result of human belief and human faith and a human decision and that this ability to believe belongs to everybody universally, and all men can believe. And it's just a matter of changing your mind and making a decision and coming forward and praying the magic prayer, that's your view of salvation, then you have no category in your theology for false converts. Because you must then assume that everybody who's ever prayed this prayer and come forward and made the decision and changed their mind and started after Christ, that all of those must be genuine salvation. And then when they fall away from the faith, some people who don't believe in eternal security say, see, there's proof that somebody can be saved for a period of time and then fall away from that and lose their salvation. Other people look at that and they say, well, yeah, he, he might have fallen away, but I knelt by the bedside with the little boy and, and prayed, and he, at five years old, asked Jesus into his heart. And, and he became a believer, and then we baptized him when he was six, and when he left home, he went off and got involved in pornography and fornication and drug abuse and, and uh, 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 drugs and alcohol and every lascivious conceivable possible lifestyle you can imagine. He was involved in gossip and slander and theft and a few things we'd rather not mention. And then he was married and divorced three or four times and committed numerous affairs. And he never reads his Bible, never goes to church never prays, never shares his faith, has no hunger for God's Word or God's people. But we prayed with him when he was five. Thank goodness once saved, always saved, right? We got him in the kingdom. Friends, that's a false convert. That is a false convert. That is somebody who follows after Christ for a period of time and then falls away. The security that is being described here does not belong to such a one. It's not that they backslid. They never slid forward to begin with. It's not that they lost their salvation. They never had salvation. Because salvation is not a matter of one human being just changing their mind or altering and making a decision or walking the aisle or praying a prayer. Salvation is a work of God by which the Holy Spirit regenerates and gives life to somebody and He changes their heart and He changes their nature and they follow after the Son. That is the mark of a believer. They follow Christ. And the one who does not follow Christ, I don't care what prayer they prayed. They ought to have no confidence whatsoever 
that they belong to Him, and that they are actually His sheep. It is only when they make their calling and election sure by following hard after Christ and living a life of obedience to Him. That is the type of following that is described here. If you think that somebody falling away from salvation after a period of time is evidence that they can lose their salvation, it's not. All it is is evidence that they were never saved to begin with. Because John says, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it might be made evident that they were never of us to begin with. That is why unbelievers leave. That is why false converts fall away. Because it becomes evident after a period of time that their hearts are not changed. And like a dog returns to its vomit, and like a sow having washed with wallowing in the mire, without a change of nature, it goes right back to the sin from which it came. Because it has to. That's its nature. It loves darkness. And no matter what type of a front of loving light they might put on, if they love darkness, they do not belong to Christ. So they have to follow Him. And it's not that by following Him we mean that they're perfect, that they have no flaws, or that they never fail, or they never sin, or they never struggle, or that they never war against sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about not perfection, but direction. Somebody who has turned from their sin, and they're following hard after Christ, and they're walking with Him. That's the following. His sheep will follow Him. These Pharisees did not follow Him because they did not belong to Him. But those who belong to Him, who are His sheep, they follow hard after Him. And they are saved, and their following is an evidence of their saved. And their following is itself an evidence of grace. And it is the work of grace. It is the grace of God that saves somebody, and it is the grace of God that changes the heart, draws the sheep to the Son, renews that nature, and it is the grace of God that holds the sheep in His hands, and keeps them faithful, and keeps them persevering to the very end. So even the following after Him is, is the response of the work of grace in my life. I don't follow Him to get saved. I follow Him because He has saved me. And my following after Him is not a, a process by which I achieve salvation. My following after Him is the very work of God in my heart. Because sheep follow after the shepherd. That's what sheep do. That's the whole point of the analogy in chapter 10. He calls to them, and they follow Him. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. But instead, they follow after their shepherd. Why? Because they're sheep and they belong to him. And since they belong to him, they follow after him. That's the point. And so the following is merely the, the product or the result of me belonging to him to begin with. And because I belong to him, when he calls, I hear his voice and he knows me and I follow after him. That's his assurance to me. Now the fourth statement. So, his sheep hear his voice. He knows his sheep. His sheep follow him. These are all the marks of his sheep. And fourth, he gives to his sheep eternal life. He gives eternal life to his sheep. Verse 28, And I give eternal life to them. Who's the them? The them is the sheep. To the Pharisees? No. To those who are not his sheep? No. Is he desperately trying to give eternal life to everybody under the sun? No. Who is he interested in? The sheep. I give eternal life to them, to the sheep. And he gives eternal life to them, and it is his gift. And the gift of salvation is, uh, salvation I should say, is a gift from the good shepherd to his sheep. And he gives it to his sheep. He gives eternal life to them. And this is promised. All those who hear His voice, who follow after Him, whom He knows, He gives eternal life. To whom does He give eternal life? The sheep. And to how many of His sheep does He give eternal life to? To some? To most? To a few? To what? To all. Why? Because if He fails to give eternal life to even one of His sheep, and His sheep perish then he has failed to do what the Father sent him to do, and he is a failure, and he is a liar. He gives eternal life to all of his sheep. And it is a gift of, and eternal life is a gift. I said that, it is a gift. It is God's gracious gift to his sheep. Now something we earn, it can't be. That's why Jesus says, I give to them, 
and he uses the present tense, I give, a continual action. I give eternal life. And that's indicative of the nature of the type of life we are describing. It is not something that he, he gave at a period of time in the past that sort of dwindles and we hope hangs on long enough to get us all the way through till I up into my pine pajamas and I'm lowered six feet into the earth. That's not the type of life he gives. The type of life he gives is a life that is eternal life. And it's a continual giving of that life. He is always giving to his sheep eternal life. Not a one-time gift. And listen, it's not a future reality either. It is your present possession. If you are his and you belong to him and you have repented and placed your faith in Christ, the life that you have, eternal life, is present, not future. It is entirely wrong to say, when I die, I will receive eternal life. No, you won't. You can't. If you die before you receive eternal life, you die in your sins and you will perish. If you don't have eternal life now, you are in death. Because you have never passed from death into life. But if you have passed from death into life, then the life that you now have is eternal life. And the Son continually gives, like a never-ending fountain, like a, like a flowing current, like a wide and deep stream, the Son continually gives life to His sheep. That tells us the nature of this life is not something that He gave in the past. And like a battery, runs down, and then i got to go to a conference, i got to go to church, i got to get all jazzed up got to listen to some good worship music, get that life going again, and go back on, on be ready for Monday again. Not that type of life. It is just this continual abiding life. And as long as Christ is Christ, and God is God, and God is alive, I will live. Because eternal life is the very life of God Himself. That's why Peter says, you and I are partakers of the divine nature. Because the Spirit of God that has made us alive spiritually, and given us spiritual life, has infused into us the life of God Himself. It is a never-ending life. It is an unchanging life. It is an incorruptible life. It is an eternal life. It is an infinite life. It is an imperishable life and uncorruptible. And it cannot fade away ever. Why? Because it's God's life Himself. And as long as God is God and God is alive, then I will be spiritually alive because my spiritual life is the life of God Himself. The life that God gives to us, which is spiritual life, is not a life apart from Him. As if God has life and then He's going to dole out to us something else over here of an inferior quality. No, He makes us alive Himself and the Son continually animates spiritually His sheep. With what kind of life? Eternal life. Now, is there such a thing as eternal life that comes to an end? Is it possible for someone who is saved, who has been born again and been given eternal life, is it possible for them to lose their salvation? The answer to that question is in those two words, eternal life. What is eternal life? It's eternal, which means it goes on for how long? Weeks? Months? Years? One lifetime? It goes on forever. It goes on forever. For someone to speak of eternal life and to say something like this, I had eternal life once, but now I don't. You're confused. At best, you're confused. That's like saying, I have unstoppable life that stopped. Unceasing life that ceased. I had everlasting life that did not last. I had eternal life at one point, and now I don't have eternal life anymore. If you had eternal life at one point, and now you don't have it, then it's not what? It's not eternal. It can't be. It wouldn't be eternal. How anybody can take such a precious promise and by the perversion of their own minds twist this into something other than an eternal, abiding, unceasing, unstoppable, infinite life that goes on and on forever and ever is beyond me. 
But to say that you can lose your salvation is to say that eternal life is not eternal. That somebody can have eternal life that only lasts for a period of time. It is impossible for me, having been saved and been given eternal life, to ever perish. Why? Because for one, Jesus says they will never perish. But other than that, my life that I have is eternal life. That's the quality of it. That's the extent of it. That's his promise. It's everlasting. It's not everlasting that doesn't last. It's not eternal that comes to an end. Eternal life is eternal life. So can a believer, one who is actually born again and saved, can they lose their salvation? If they have, then it's not eternal life, is it? But if it is eternal life, then it must go on forever and ever. And that is the very nature of the gift itself. Is it possible, do you think it's even even reasonable to say that God, who would choose a man from eternity past and give that person to his son, and say, son, save him, and then that the son would come and pay his debt and atone for his sin and forgive him and justify him and regenerate him and give him a new heart and a new life and new affections and new desires and put him into the church and that the father then would betroth such a one to his son to be part of the spotless bride of Christ, that that would be the eternal decree of God and that the Holy Spirit would then gift that individual, and that he would have eternal life, and the promise of heaven, and then that God would take it all away. Does that even sound reasonable? That is not the type of gift that God gives. That's not the gift that God gives. If I came up to you and I said to you, look, if I came up to one of your children, and I said to one of your children, look, if you sin against your parents, and if you don't love them enough, and if you don't remain faithful to them, or if you could do something that's going to send you out of their good graces, they could kick you out of the house and disown you from the family and never love you again. Your children, your child, I hope, would say to you, no, no, you don't understand my nature of my father. There is nothing I could ever say and nothing I could ever do that would make my father just stop loving me or disown me because that's not the way my father is. And for you to suggest that my father would disown me because of something that I could do or something I could say or something I could think is a slander upon his good name. That is exactly the way I feel about people who say you can lose your salvation. It is a slander and a blasphemy to the good name of Christ to suggest that because of something that I did not do or something I did, or some failure in me, or some inadequacy in me, or some sin, or some unforeseen circumstance that God would cast me out, that I would be a child of God this week and a child of the devil the next week, that I would have my sins atoned for today and then be under his wrath next month. Such a statement is a blasphemy against the nature and the character of an infinitely eternal, sovereign, and good and loving God. You cannot say that a Christian can lose their salvation because that is a perversion of the truth. It is a perversion of the truth. It does not understand what eternal life is. You say to me, eternal life's not eternal. I say to you, you don't know what eternal means. You don't measure eternal in terms of days, weeks, or months. You measure eternal in terms of eternity. That's what eternal life is. He gives eternal life to his sheep, and that is the nature of the gift, that it is something which is eternal. Now, you may say, you may say, Jim, but he gives to me eternal life so long as I remain his sheep. See, that's the key got to remain his sheep. He gives eternal life to his sheep. And if ever I stop being his sheep, by virtue of leaving his flock or walking away or stopping abiding in him or doing something to no longer be his sheep, or if I stop believing, then I cease to be his sheep, and then he would cease to give me eternal life. The eternal life is eternal so long as I am his sheep. What happens if I stop being his sheep? Then is it still eternal life? No, if you didn't have it, then it can't be eternal, can it? And on top of that, let me ask you this. What did you do to become his sheep? Did you become his sheep because of some decision that you made? Because you walked an aisle? Because you believed? Or did you believe because you were his sheep? Who made you his sheep? 
The Father made you His sheep. Verse 29, The Father has given them to the Son. You did not become His sheep by your belief, and you don't maintain your sheepiness by His by your faithfulness or your service or your obedience or your lack of sin. You are His sheep by His doing. So it's not an issue of whether you can remain His sheep or stay His sheep. You didn't become His sheep by an act of your will to begin with. So when were you made His sheep? In eternity past. Oh, I see. So now it's... Are you suggesting then that the Father might decree something and purpose something and say that this is going to happen and He might predestine me to His glory, but then that I have the ability to thwart the perfect plan of God and His intention in His Son and His intention for me? You think you're that mighty? You think you're that powerful? You're not His sheep. If you do not believe. If you believe, you believe because you are His sheep. And you don't have to maintain your belief. We do maintain our belief, but that's the work of God in us, which keeps us His sheep. Because we were made His sheep by Him and His grace. We are kept His sheep by Him and His grace. And we will forever be His sheep by Him and by His grace. So is it possible for one who is saved to lose their salvation? Eternal life. That's His promise. I give to my sheep eternal life. That is why He can say they will never perish. Now, how anyone can take such a precious promise as this and turn it into a promise of a temporary, faulty, fleeing, maybe-if salvation is beyond you. That is the activity of unsound men who are bad in theology, who derive and fabricate dangerous doctrines of demons like that, and turn the graciousness of God and pervert it into a man-centered, self-aggrandizing, works-righteous system. You are his sheep by his doing. And he gives you eternal life. And how long will it go on? Forever. So the Arminian can keep his gospel, which is nothing more than an, an ode to human decision and human will. The Arminian can keep his atonement, which doesn't atone for anybody, but only makes salvation possible. And the Arminian can keep his, his election, which is nothing more than God simply reaffirming what he thinks man's going to do anyway. And the Arminian can keep his doctrine of eternal life which is not eternal and is not life. And I will go with Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And the next statement, they will never perish. That's his promise. They will never perish. And we've only gotten through two, and we have to stop there. To be honest with you, several weeks ago when I was looking at this passage, I hope to do this in two weeks, but there's just so much here that needs to be made abundantly clear and a, and a whole argument that needs to be fleshed out here. And we will continue to do that next time we're together, two weeks from today. We'll be back in John, and we'll look at that phrase, they will never perish, and what it means to be in his hands. The phrase, they will never perish, is the reverse. I give to them eternal life, that's stated positively. They will never perish is stating the same thing negatively. And between those two things, every contingency is covered. Every possible objection is covered. So we'll look at those next time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these, these truths which are ours to rest in and to enjoy. We thank you for the confidence that we have that as those who have been given by the Father to you, by to your Son, by you, our Father, that you, um, that you continue to uphold us and strengthen us only by your grace. It is by your grace that we have been saved. It is by your grace that we have been predestined to these things. And it is by your grace that you continue to preserve us and keep us until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have that you will complete the good work which you have begun in us, that Christ will save fully and finally and completely 
all those who have belonged to him before the foundation of the world. It is a gracious salvation. It is a God-glorifying salvation. And all of this destroys our human pride. For we know that there is nothing in us that is deserving of any blessing, any of these things. We deserve none of it. But you have given it to us by your grace and by your love. And so all of our praise and our worship and our adoration is due to you, our gracious Father. And through your Son and by your Holy Spirit, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.